Thanks for finding Health Dose, a conversational podcast focused on issues related to your health. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. My Michigan Health's Pediatric Center for Rehabilitation and Behavioral Health recently was named an approved Autism Evaluation Center. To tell us what that means to parents of children on the autism spectrum, Health Dose has called upon Drs. Kathy Dollard and Scott Zimistrad. Scott Zimistrad is a neuropsychologist. Kathy Dollard is the Director of Behavioral Health at My Michigan Health. Health Dose asked Dr. Zimistrad to define autism from a clinical perspective. It's persistent deficits in social communication and social interaction across multiple contexts with restricted and repetitive patterns of behaviors, interests, or activities. And the severity is based on social communication impairments and restricted repetitive patterns of behavior. And it helps to distinguish from other comorbid disorders. When we're talking about someone on the spectrum, the severity is affected by things like intellectual disability or developmental delays. You use the word spectrum, and we talk about autism on a spectrum. What is meant by that? It's better thought of as a continuum. In other words, it's a range of severity. It's a range of severity of impairment. And so if you are at the beginning of the spectrum, your impairment is minimal. Your prognosis is better. The farther down the spectrum, the closer you become to someone like the Rain Man that is highly restricted in his behavior because of his rigidity and his need for sameness in his environment. Sometimes somebody who's on the autism spectrum, they might have strengths in one area, but then they have challenges in another area. So for example, they are very verbal and some people on the autism spectrum can have communication difficulties. So somebody might have successful, very successful in the amount of how they can be verbal, but maybe they have challenges in social interactions. So when I think about autism, I think about communication, social interactions, and whether or not they, a person might have some challenges in behavior or developmental delay. Some people are nonverbal and have no words and hopefully they can learn some signs or they can use pictures to communicate. Some people communicate using computers, things like that. And some people are very verbal. And so you have that spectrum, but the same person who might be really capable in communication might have a challenging behavior or they might have a challenge in social interaction and not want to give anyone eye contact or they might struggle on a job because they can't read social cues. So you could be strong in one area and not as strong in another area. Is it becoming more common that people have autism or is it that we're getting better at diagnosing it or is it a combination? I think it's more the latter. I think it's we're identifying people more accurately, more frequently, more early in their development. And so one of your questions was, how young can you start to evaluate children? And we see two-year-olds with fair frequency at the center. 
it's a little dicey much before that because language and certainly language the combination language doesn't occur until well into the second year for most kids anyway so it's something that can be seen earlier and it is earlier the better you use the word continuum rather than spectrum yes does does the continuum or spectrum aspect make autism more complicated to diagnose? No, it makes it more flexible. I think it, it allows us to describe individuals better. You know, if you, you think of autism and you, again, you think of that character from the movie, you're looking at a, somebody pretty high in the spectrum. And people that used to be called Asperger's disorder they like people, they want to interact with people, but they don't realize that their restricted interests bore other people. And so you'll have children describing their joy of dinosaurs at eight or nine or 10 to other individuals, and, and they lose interest, the other individuals. And the person with Asperger's does, doesn't understand why, because it's so fabulously interesting to them. Again, that inability to appreciate reciprocity in a relationship where there's no back and forth that you just have listeners. It may be entertaining to adults to listen to those sorts of diatribes, but not necessarily for another eight or nine-year-old. So they may have a difficulty relating to their peers in that regard. Yes. So how does one diagnose autism and how early can that be done? You mentioned two-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Well, we diagnose autism at the AAEC by consensus. And this is sort of how the Approved Autism Evaluation Center got its start. People were trying to make the diagnosis individually, and it's much better if you have consensus with a pediatrician, a speech-language pathologist, and a child psychologist, preferably a pediatric neuropsychologist. And so we all examine the child when they come in. We conference our findings amongst each other, and then we give the findings to the parent after that consensus is made. And we have, in my opinion, surprisingly great consensus most of the time in our center. I don't know what it's like in other centers, but that sort of collegiality is, is very helpful in working with families. And do you find as professionals that you agree more often than you disagree on a diagnosis? Yes. So each of those professionals have evaluation tools that they use that are evidence-based validated tools. And so a diagnosis is reached by each of those professionals using their assessment tools and then coming together and making a diagnosis. And they also um, provide recommendations so that the family can leave that evaluation with some recommendations about further treatment. And it's really trying to get at, does a child have a diagnosis of autism or could it be some other neurobehavioral issue that's happening or is it a medical issue that's happening? And so we want to make sure that the diagnosis is autism if we're going to then recommend treatments that are targeted for that population. 
if it's something else, then we want to make sure that those recommendations for treatment are different. We also have the ability to bring in extra staff into those evaluations. If it's equivocal or it could be something else, it might be a psychiatric issue and we have a child psychiatrist who could come and take a look, or we could refer to Michigan Medicine to somebody who has a specialty in some unusual neurobehavioral disorder. Dr. Dollard, what is the MidMichigan Health Pediatric Center for Rehabilitation and Behavioral Health? What goes on there? It's been a collaboration that we've had with Midland County Educational Services Agency, our intermediate school district, CMH for Central Michigan, Community Mental Health for Central Michigan, and my Michigan. We've been working together for a number of years to have a one-stop shop for people who have autism for children. So children who have a diagnosis of autism can get applied behavior analysis there. In our state, children who need applied behavior analysis, if they have Medicaid, the CMHs are the ones who provide that. And children who have other insurances than commercially insured kids can get services through My Michigan's ABA program. We also have OT, so occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech therapy available on site. And we really have a philosophy there. I think that is quite helpful to children in that children who need those types of services, it depends on on the severity of their diagnosis and, and how impacted they are by autism. So they could be there for five hours a week, or up to 30 hours a week for some children. And we really want it to be a place where kids come and they learn these skills, but they do it in a culture of play and a culture of fun where kids don't think that they're coming for treatment. They think that they're coming and they come in the door happily. Um, They think they're coming to play with these adults who are specially trained and through that play, they're learning crucial skills in learning how to communicate better, how to give eye contact, how to understand another person. For some people, some of the children that are more severely impacted that we see, they need toilet training. They might be over the age of developmental stages where most kids get toilet trained, but there are challenges that they haven't mastered that yet. So they might be 10 years old and still need to master that skill. And that's something that we can work on with them. So like Dr. Zimistrad said, the sooner the better that a kid might come into services with us, because really, if we can start helping them with some of these skills, we have seen that some children anyway, can then be streamlined into a neurotypical kindergarten. So it's really fun to see the progress that kids make at that center. And at the center, we have developed this approved autism evaluation center because for many children, their journey for these types of treatments has to start with an assessment. So their insurances have said, we want you to have this evaluation and these recommendations coming from an approved center before we will cover these services. 
as you can imagine, if a child's in service for, say, I don't know, 10, 30 to 30 hours a week, that probably is you know, quite expensive. And so these insurances want to make sure that the child has been evaluated. The problem that we've found is that there are only AAECs allowed to be in hospitals or universities. So they're not, there's not an approved center everywhere in every town. There's only a few of them. And so when we opened our center and we were having these collaborative discussions, one of the things that Dr. Zimistrad brought to us to, was to say, you know, the hospital really needs to have an AAEC because children are coming to neuropsychologists like Dr. Simistrad. And outside of an AAEC, he couldn't make the diagnosis and have, say, a Blue Cross Blue Shield be able to cover the service. We needed to be part of a collaboration. And so since you can only have those in a hospital setting or in a university, my Michigan step forward to apply, bringing together Dr. Zimistrad, Dr. Grossman, and our own speech language pathologist, Karen Wasson, to form that team and get the approval through Blue Cross Blue Shield to have that. And as a practical matter, getting the insurance companies on board is extremely important in any kind of medical, neurological, any kind of clinical treatment center. Is that the biggest advantage to being an approved center? Well, an approved center, really when we're talking about being approved, we're being approved by Blue Cross Blue Shield, by Blue Care Network, and other commercial insurances to be able to do this evaluation and make the recommendations then that then they will be covered by the person's insurance. And so the insurance companies drive this a little bit, but it is also good practice. So we do want children to have a thorough assessment by a multidisciplinary team so that we can come up with the best treatment recommendations. So my Michigan Health's Pediatric Center for Rehabilitation and Behavioral Health is not just a place for diagnosis, but it's also a place for treatment, for therapies, for ongoing development of a person's abilities then. That is correct. Moving back, because I know we have a lot of families that are listening to this podcast that may have a family member, a loved one on the spectrum and are weeding through that laborious process of getting answers. What signs should parents be looking for or family members be looking for? And when do they know that they need to seek professional advice? That's a tough question. The parents that struggle the most in making that decision are parents with one child who have no other reference to look to, to say, you know, this little guy's speech is not what older Johnny had or older Susie had. The, the best thing to do is to talk with your primary care provider or pediatrician and ask them if they feel they're developing appropriately. If you have any question whatsoever, you're taking them in for well-child visits, six to 12 months all the time. And they're probably the starting point for most families. And it does require a physician's order for our center to see a child. And so it just 
sort of naturally comes through the physician's office that there are delays and this will result in us seeing children that are delayed for various other things other than uh, autism, as we've already said, which is fine. The idea is that this assessment will sort of pin down a diagnosis and a treatment plan, and it may leave away from the pediatric center. The child may go back to school, may see another specialist, as you've mentioned, and that's fine because their needs are different than what we can meet at the center. But I would fall back on your doctor's advice, and that's just a naturally occurring process from my experience anyway. Yeah, there are some, I guess, signs. I would wholeheartedly agree with what Dr. Simistrad was saying. But if your child doesn't engage in eye contact, some children like to be cuddled, but some children with autism really don't like that. If your child doesn't do, if your child's getting up where pretend play might be something like playing with a doll, pretending to feed a doll or something, and your child doesn't do that. If your child doesn't really show any interest, like if he doesn't point or she doesn't point to anything or doesn't show interest when you try to engage your your child with a toy, things like that. So sometimes children would like echo or repeat words. And sometimes um, you'll see children with autism have self-stimulating behaviors. So some children will rock a lot. Some children will wave their hands. Lack of eye contact is one of the signs, but these could be signs of other things as well. So Dr. Simistrad's advice of going to a physician for those well checks and having that checked out. A lot of times physicians, they do some screening, developmental screening when your child comes in. And there's a checklist called the modified checklist for autism and toddlers that physicians give an MCHAT. So I think that's really good advice. But some of the things, if somebody is just kind of wondering, does my children, my child seem atypical neurologically? Those are some of the things that they might look for. Could you speak to the importance of early diagnosis when it comes to the autism spectrum? It's important. It's not critical. We've helped people that are beyond the childhood range that are autism spectrum disordered. But obviously, if this is a neurodevelopmental disorder and you can do neurodevelopmental intervention, the earlier the better. The brain is young, it's developing, the speech language is critical. And to have someone working with a professional, and in this society, we're lucky we have early on and other non-clinical organizations that identify children come into the home and work with them. Thank goodness we have increased preschool, not to get political, preschool opportunities for children due to recent legislation. We are very a very early identifying society. And the reasons for that is the earlier, the better, but not to lose hope. If you're not, child isn't diagnosed until five, seven, eight, nine, there's lots that we can do as well. Let's look forward to the future. What's the long-term outlook for a child or any person who's been diagnosed with autism? What are we able to do now that we weren't able to do generations ago? Great question. 
lots. I see people in my practice who come in who are struggling as adults with one or two small areas of their life, but have had the opportunity to be diagnosed early and receive autism programming, particularly in the schools, which changed their life, which they make them productive adults. Those people were taken care of primarily by the intermediate school district, by the ASDs, by the places that are available to public free of charge. And they're successful adults and they make contributions to society. Some of them are managers of, of, of people, which, you know, for an autistic person, that's fabulous that they can relate to people in a way that they're successful managers. And so, again, early awareness, early identification, the uh, awareness that we have now in identifying kids uh, younger with better frequency is paying out. It's making differences. And I see them in my practice and I just shake my head and say, thank God that this person had the programming when they did. I will add to that. I mean, as people, we talked in the beginning, people are on a spectrum. And so there are some people who are more impacted by autism than other people. I think everyone can get to their, their own potential. And I think that we as society have to be more embracing and, and valuing all kinds of people with all kinds of abilities. And so it's really important that even if a person isn't neurotypical and doesn't act exactly like maybe I do, that they're still valuable and they can still make a positive impact on our community. And so having an open and embracing mindset around all people, I think is really important because it might be that that person is going to be really good at a certain skill and we need to hire that person because they're really good at a certain skill, but maybe they're not great at language or really great at social interaction, but there, everyone has something to add to our community. And so I think it's just important to keep in mind, even if a person doesn't have language or, you know, is got some behavioral quirks, they're still really important and valuable. That is Kathy Dollard, PhD, Director of Behavioral Health at My Michigan Health, along with neuropsychologist Dr. Scott Zimistrad. To reiterate Dr. Zimistrad's advice, if you have health or developmental concerns about a loved one, the best place to start is with their primary care provider. If you need help finding a primary care provider, go to mymichigan.org doctors. My Michigan Health offers comprehensive behavioral health services from outpatient one-on-one therapy, intense outpatient programs to meet the needs of older adults, to partial hospitalization programs and inpatient services. A complete list of services can be reviewed at mymichigan.org slash mental health. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Thank you so much for listening. Check back again soon for another edition of Health Dose.